As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. This episode is brought to you today by Gusto. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be part of a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and a great service to take care of your team. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. You sign up today, you will get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash rocket ship again gusto.com slash rocket ship 
This episode of Rockship.fm is brought to you by Clubhouse, the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools that you already use every day. Listeners of Rocketship FM can sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io forward slash Rocketship FM. So Mike, when I say disruption, what comes to mind? Um, probably like Uber. Like they came in as outsiders and like totally disrupted the transportation industry. And if I say innovation, what comes to mind? Hmm. So I would say like going way back, like some of those early tech pioneers like William Shockley or the Traderous Eight. Yeah, they were they were innovators certainly. You could say they were disruptors as well, right, because of their connection to the first venture capital deals and because they broke off from the major players at the time. But what if we looked at like Hewlett Packard, who once established in the 1970s, really pushed innovation forward in various industries? Okay, so – like what is the difference really? So I think for today's purpose, right, we're, we're looking at disruption as something that uproots an industry like an Uber, right, coming at it from the outside. Okay, so innovation would be more like an iterative advancement from within an industry. It's still revolutionary, but building on top of an industry versus like turning the whole industry on its head. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I could. It kind of seems like all we hear today is disruption, disruption, disru-. like everybody's disrupting something, whether it's transportation, hospitality, feels like everybody just wants to blow everything up. Yeah, yeah. Most of these world changing ideas, um, oftentimes they're a little more than just a better way to get food delivered. But there are people working on real solutions to real problems. Today, we're going to talk about two people who are innovating inside and slightly outside of one of the most heavily regulated, slowest moving industries, healthcare. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. In season four of Rocketship, we are diving into everything product and growth. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. So healthcare. Okay, I couldn't imagine someone coming in and disrupting healthcare at this point. It's like, that's hard. I know, I know. It's it's really hard to imagine. But you know, one of our, our guests today, he comes close to to kind of disrupting an aspect of, of healthcare. And well, we can let the listeners decide which side of the defense he, he really belongs on. Okay, so who are we talking to? So I talked with Sasha Bahada, the director of the Institute for Health System Solutions and Virtual Care at the Women's College Hospital in Toronto about why innovation in healthcare is just so slow. Change is actually pretty slow. Um, And there's sometimes good reasons for that because obviously um, when people, uh, when you think about how medicine has evolved uh, over the years, it's often due to, you know, Uh, trial and error um, and has been about how things have always been done in tradition, which is ultimately uh, at times can be good because we don't want to move too fast on something that might actually have a negative impact on patients. But in more recent years, um, what we've started to see is that um, slow pace of change in healthcare has um, butted up against you know, the massive sort of changes in technology um, that we've seen 
um, you know, a, like around in other industries, you know, so um, whether it be, uh, you know, Uber and the cab industry, you know, the development of smartphones, um, you know, even uh, the use of uh, messaging and social media platforms uh, has really created attention in the healthcare space as patients are now beginning to say, um, you know, why can't I email my doctor too? Or why do I have to call the office to get an appointment? So you're starting to see um, some friction sort of develop between what patients' expectations are towards um, care and service in other industries versus healthcare. That makes perfect sense, especially considering what's at stake. Yeah, right. I mean, we don't want to put people's lives in in jeopardy over moving too fast, right? But when we think about it from the patient's perspective, like their experience hasn't really changed in 50 or 60 years, right? We've made a lot of progress in medicine and technology, but the experience of actually seeing a doctor stayed relatively the same. But um, we've seen innovation in in other aspects of a person's life. And now they're starting to expect the same change inside of the healthcare system. Sure. So um, for example, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the traditional model of people seeing a family doctor, a primary care uh, doctor has been um, somebody, you know, having to make an appointment or go to a walk-in clinic and then physically see a physician. Um, more recently, there have been uh, a number of healthcare companies uh, that have sort of cropped up in, in Canada in particular, although, you know, there are various sorts of these that have popped up in other countries as well, that, you know, for a fee, um, you can actually see a doctor via telemedicine. So basically what would happen is, is you would log on to your computer and you would get a, a virtual visit or a telemedicine visit with a doctor that was remote to you. And um, they would be able to sort of, you know, assess your problem, hear your story, and potentially be able to, you know, make a prescription or make a care plan for you. Uh, kind of both of you from the comfort. So I imagine this had to go through some sort of approval process, like some board must have set regulations about these virtual visits. Surprisingly, no. Yeah. So the answer is it's kind of the Wild West out there. Um, There hasn't been a ton of guidance to date, as far as I know, around what uh, makes a virtual visit. And what's because in Canada... You have the Canada Health Act, which sort of says you can't really bill privately. Um, uh, the thing um, for services that are insured, right now, virtual visits are not insured. And so, you know, basically they can be charged outside of, you know, the, in, you know, the different pro- provincial government's insurance plans. And so there really isn't a ton of rules around it yet. And so it is a little bit like the Wild West. Okay, this is feeling a little disruptive. (laughs) Well, you're right. I I mean, I think we'd be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but these virtual visits are still being conducted by licensed doctors who've been licensed through the traditional channels. They're just seeing patients in a new way. Doctors, they used to make house calls. Then they moved almost exclusively to their own offices. Now they're basically making house calls again. This time just virtually. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. 
Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. But no one's really measuring the effectiveness of this currently. Well, yeah, that that's kind of true, right? I mean, th- Sasha's trying to. So his work at the Women's College Hospital, they're, they're trying to figure out how do we measure this. The problem is figuring out how to measure it has come a little bit slower than the technology itself. Is we um, evaluate uh, how technology gets implemented into the way that healthcare is delivered and look at whether or not um, that implementation of that technology actually did the things we hoped it would do, meaning improve quality, improve access and reduce cost. Help me understand some of the timelines with this, right? So you want to measure virtual care. Um, how long are you are you um, running these studies and and uh, looking at virtual care and its effects on the on the market? So that's that's a really uh, good question because the problem uh, with the way that virtual care digital health has been sort of evaluated to date, we think, is probably not. Uh, the right strategy for this really disruptive technology. So if you, if you, I mean, in healthcare, um, we traditionally take a very conservative approach to how we evaluate whether a drug, for example, um, has an impact on improving people's health. And those are called randomized control trials, and they require a certain number of patients, some people getting the drug, some people not getting the drug, and they can take years. This is fundamentally different than how we're taught to think about problems in the tech industry. Four to five years of testing, a company's out of business. Right? They're out of business in four to five months. So how does Sasha see this colliding with how the tech industry works and how healthcare works? The short answer to that is I absolutely think a lot of the innovation is going to come from outside of healthcare. The challenge is that healthcare is such a uh, uh, context-specific and specialized industry that there needs to be some sort of synergy with the system itself. So it means that the innovators 
I mean, coming in and saying, you know what, we're going to blow this thing up and we're going to turn it on its head, but we're not going to talk to anyone in healthcare, I don't think will work. I think it's going to be this symbiosis of where the tech sector, uh, other industries will kind of come in and say, we want to help. How can we work with you, meaning folks with doctors, you know, policymakers in the healthcare system to make the system better? And I think that symbiosis is going to be really. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Rockchip FM is brought to you by Clubhouse, the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. And speaking of building products that customers love, we've hired a professional voice actress to read off some of the fantastic testimonials that we've gathered about Clubhouse, like this one from Clinton Gromley, the Elastic Stack team lead. Clubhouse is fine-grained enough that each sub-team can track the tasks they're working on, but allows us to zoom out to the team, product, or stack level. Or this one from John Kudmal, the CTO and co-founder of LaunchDarkly. Clubhouse provides the ability to work on a task list at the smallest level where I can check things off all the way up to tracking my entire company's engineering velocity at the milestone level. Or this one from Molly Wolfberg, the product manager at Wistia. Clubhouse provides enough data and a way to view that data, which means it's easy to slice and dice the numbers and makes the team more productive. Listeners of Rocketship.fm can sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io forward slash Rocketship.fm. This episode is brought to you today by Gusto. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially for small businesses. You don't have the time to be an expert on things like taxes and regulations. And there are old school payroll providers that exist, but they're just not built for the modern business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. Now, again, there is some competition for Gusto out there, but Gusto actually has a lot of things going for them. PC Mag and Fit Small Business, they've called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto makes payroll a breeze. In fact, nine out of 10 users say Gusto is easier to use than other payroll solutions. And Gusto definitely saves you time. 72% of customers, they actually spend less than five minutes to run payroll. I know a lot of people that spend way more. Gusto is reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching. And if you don't believe it, just Google it. People love Gusto. And how often do you actually love your payroll provider? Almost never. Most small businesses, they don't have an HR expert, but you don't need one to use Gusto. With great software and great service, you can focus on your business, not on your payroll or your paperwork. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com forward slash rocket ship. That's gusto.com forward slash rocket ship. Now, Back to the show. Powerful. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. So you're probably asking, what does innovation look like in healthcare driven by people or organizations outside of the healthcare giants? I am actually asking that. <laughs> well, you are in luck. I, I spoke with Josh Landry, the founder of Figure One. Um, have you been on Figure One? Uh, no, I have not even heard of it. 
So, well, today you are in luck. It's a, it's a social network of healthcare professionals who share case photos. Um, it's in like an Instagram-esque feed. And then they leave comments, help, advice. And I have set us up with an account so you can log in and experience it for yourself. Ah, nice. All right, let me send you. All right. So go to, uh, I believe it's figure1.com. Here's the username and the password. Okay, I am okay, in. So, what do you see? So, all right, confirm your account, rocket ship, and then I see it's like there's just an image right away. It's an it's like an X-ray of somebody's. I mean, I could see their spine going all the way to like their pelvis area, and it says patient with fever and hematuria and chilling no more information and then there's comments view the two comments somebody says the entire right side looks abnormal right bladder wall is obscure right side large air fluid level ascending colon looks enlarged is this a bowel perforation or severe right hydrophorosis with a hydrator yeah and they're, they're trying to figure out they're trying to solve the problem that the patient is having um, and some of the stuff gets pretty gross. Um, I mean, for me, for doctors, I'm sure it's not. Well, and, and it does feel Instagram-y, right? Like you can, there are tags like infectious diseases is a tag and you can choose to discuss, follow, or save. This one has two comments, 13 follows and 1,547 views. That's, that's engagement right there, you know? Like that's, so um, yeah, so I, I talked to Josh about, how large this network is because it it does feel when you log on it feels very active i mean there are now millions of users around the world in 192 countries uh, using figure one Uh, and so this really has been a global event since the very beginning um we had rapid uptake initially in north america and then of course spreading to europe and africa and asia eventually as well australia was one of our uh, was one of our earliest markets, maybe third or fourth. And so really we have connected all the continents uh, since the very beginning of our That is nuts. I never realized there's this global social network connecting millions of doctors all over the world. But I have to say the first thing that comes to mind when we're discussing healthcare and technology is compliance. Like I'd have to imagine that this would get really, really messy. Yeah, it surprisingly, uh, according to Josh, It's not that bad. So uh, figure one's images don't contain any private information at all. There's no personal health information, no PHI on our, um, on our app at all. And what that means is that HIPAA only applies to those pieces of information. Essentially the philosophy that we uh, selected was the best way to keep a secret is not to know it. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) So in order to make sure that we don't accidentally release any private patient data, we elected not to request any, and in fact, to insist that users remove it all before it gets uploaded. So images have to be scanned and, and uh, reviewed both by the uploader and our privacy moderation team to make sure that no names, numbers, hospital ID numbers, birthdays, dates of hospitalization, and, and maybe a dozen other pieces of information need to be absent before that image can be uploaded. And on top of that, all the digital data that goes along with a modern digital photograph, that all gets erased before the image gets on the server as well. Wow. And are you doing pre or post um, 
kind of uh, review on these, these images. Like if I take a picture and I upload it, it then goes to your compliance team that needs to officially sign off on it before it's posted. Or is that like a, a post review of the, the pictures that are currently live? So we actually do both. Uh, okay. We, we do a privacy moderation viewing uh, as well as educational content viewing and moderation uh, in advance of the image being public. And then after that, once the image is public, any user who has a concern about the uh, the image can flag it and that will remove the image from circulation uh, and give us a second look to make sure uh, it, if that user, if that user uh, uh, has a concern, uh, we look at that right away. All right. It doesn't sound like they're breaking any rules, hiring lobbyists to rewrite compliance regulations. <laughs> they're certainly not Ubering it. But they are disrupting the heck out of medical education. Yeah. On the education side, they are certainly changing the way that doctors and students get to access real world cases. Uh, but on the innovation side, they're actually collaborating with companies in the industry to really push the capabilities of what figure one can do. Um, here's Josh again. And the he that he's referring to is Sasha, who you heard earlier in this episode. Uh, he and I are uh, collaborating on a project to bring machine learning capabilities uh, uh, to electrocardiogram interpretation. Um, and so that's something that we, we had some media featured uh, about that. Uh, there was an article about it um, by Fast Company maybe two weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago now um, that was just basically described how we're going to be able to teach. Uh, what Figure One is doing is essentially teaching cell phones to read ECGs to be able to assist the doctor or nurse who's looking after that patient. Um, the electrocardiogram being a device that was invented about 115 years ago, and its availability is nearly universal. So the job of getting an ECG machine into every hospital and healthcare clinic is essentially done. The job that we have left to do is to teach people uh, how to read those tests. It's almost like putting printing presses everywhere, and then all you have to do is teach people to read. Um, but, but essentially having access to safe and reliable interpretation of a test that is so vital to detecting so many life-threatening diseases, um, you know, that, that access is, is what's going to drive outcomes in places that don't have regular access to the most specialized of cardiologists. Right? Most of the world lives outside of a place where you can just call up an experienced cardiologist and have them on the phone, you know, in an instant. And so delivering that kind of access to, to healthcare knowledge. All right. Um, that I think is, is impressive. Yeah. I thought we were going to be talking about healthcare payment and coverage models. And instead, we're talking about spreading knowledge across the world that will save countless lives moving forward. Yeah. It's not all dollars and cents, right? <laughs> the, the thing is, in these heavily regulated industries, innovation and disruption are less of a line in the sand and more of a gray area. Even disruptive apps like Figure One partner in industry to push things forward. In this sense, they're not feared like Uber is within the transportation industry. They truly are doing the R&D for healthcare. Which is what some would say the original benefit of venture capital in Silicon Valley was before we got all obsessed with disrupting everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what does Sasha see as the next big thing in healthcare? Well, it's not all that different than what many of us see as the next big thing everywhere. I mean, I think AI is going to be a major game changer. Um, we don't know how it's going to be a game changer, but I think it will. I have a couple ideas. So one is, you know, what we have in healthcare is a lot of data 
um, but not a lot of uh, knowledge about how that data can be turned into usable information by providers, right? Like, so I'll give an example. Um, you know, I have a patient of mine, uh, I, I'm a cardiologist and I have a patient of mine who has an ECG, uh, he has an ECG uh, gizmo that uh, affixes it itself to his, like uh, like it works like a little ECG and it, 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 uh, it plugs into his smartphone. Uh, he's like kind of a, a leading edge kind of guy. And I, I follow him for, you know, um, for a heart arrhythmia. And I know that his heart arrhythmia gets worse when he drinks a lot of coffee and maybe drinks too much alcohol. And every time he does that, he takes a, he gets heart palpitations and then he takes his ECG uh, using his smartphone and he emails it to me. And then I look at it and I say uh, to this patient, well, maybe you should just stop drinking coffee for the next little while and wine and, and it will go away and it, and it usually does. Um, but the interesting thing about that is there's all this data now from wearables, from uh, you know data that we have in hospitals um, that's all around us um, about a patient, even not just like physical data, but where they live, air pollution levels, you know, all kinds of environmental data that all could, you know, we don't know yet how to integrate all of that in a way that will allow us to use it to make predictions about a patient's health about when a patient might be getting to the point where we need to intervene because they uh, might be uh, decompensating for some reason. And I think AI will be very powerful from an analytic perspective in helping us develop prediction rules uh, for patients' health into the future. It's a small world after all. It most certainly is. If you want to find out more about rocketship.fm, go to rocketship.fm. It's pretty simple, right? Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes in this series. And if you like today's episode, tell a friend. Or two friends or a lot of friends. We would love it if you would spread the word. And when you can, go to rocketship.fm and scroll all the way down and leave your email with us. We'll let you know about upcoming episodes, but we'll also get you in on a Slack channel with thousands of other product people and all sorts of other good stuff that we know you'll be interested in. So go to rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoy this content, leave us a quick review um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple of days. By the way, that's a crazy long name, huh? Right? <laughs> Imagine telling everyone your title. <laughs> All right, let's see. <laughs>